That being number one. Of course, God, the Bible says God is love, so that makes it number one. God has to be number one. And we read where John was trying his best to captivate the attention of those that he was writing to as well as speaking to, and so he says, Behold or look what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. I want to bring us down to the 11th verse. I want to read probably close to the end of the chapter anyway. And it goes on like this, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now it qualifies what love is. It says, Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And it asks the question, And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Now that's a good one, and I think we ought to listen to that. We're talking about we having life, and we can't be contradictory. So he that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Scriptures tell us that there's no love there, then we're not, we don't have life. We're abiding in death. Whosoever hateth his brother, and this is a heavy also, is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. And it says, Hereby perceive, or this is the way we can know the love of God. Because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whosoever hath this, hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. He that keepeth commandments dwelleth in him, and he, him, dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. Father, we want to thank you tonight for your words. Words sometimes that ring out so strong to us, and words, Father, sometimes that we feel like that there's no way possible for us to stand upon them, but nevertheless a challenge, a commandment, and something, Master, that we as your children need to learn again, which be the good and precious things that bring us into your presence. We appreciate you, Lord. We ask now you would confirm your words, you would anoint your word, and we would be, be pleased to give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
Again, last Wednesday we talked on the preeminence of love, and tonight we're going to talk a little bit on the power of love. But let's look again at the epistle of John. John, 1 John is a family letter from the father to his little children. With the exception, possibly, of uh, the Songs of Solomon, this is the most intimate writings of the inspired writings of the scriptures that we have before us. Very intimate. John addresses these individuals as well as us as little children. Now, God's, uh, John's gospel, when you read his gospel before this, leads us to across uh, the threshold of the Father's house, and his first epistle makes us at home in the Father's house, makes us feel like children in the Father's house and being addressed by the mouth of God himself. And when you read Paul's writings, he's occupied with our position as sons. But John is concerned about our nearness as tikni. In other words, the Greek for born ones are little children. I was reading some history on John at his old age, died at an old age, and ministered and, uh, to individuals at old age until he had to be carried into the church in a chair. And they set him down in the assembly in a chair, and his message was always putting emphasis on the love of God. And some of them, I understood, got a little bit vexed at his messages that seemed to always border on God's love and how God's love should be ours. They asked the aged apostle if he knew anything else to minister on. They would love to hear it. And he said, of all the things that I could talk about, all the writings that you will read, all the wonderful things that's already been written, if we can zero in and find what the love of God actually is and apply it to our life, there is no way that we can keep from inheriting the kingdom of God. And so his message basically was love and God's love, and that it should be number one. If we don't know how to love in God's way, then he exhorts us to find out. And if in doing these times we're searching for the Word of God and we find some shortcomings in our life, we need to mark those scriptures that we are not adhering to. We need to put a mark on those scriptures or make a list of those scriptures that we are lax in and begin to make some progress in remedying or righting the wrongs that's in our life. Again, I want to call your attention to the fact that he tells us the message from the beginning, from the very offset. I have to assume that he was going back to when the church was first put into action, because this is the time that they're talking about. And of everything that come forth, power of the Holy Ghost, baptism in his name, living and preaching and ministering and the gifts of the Spirit and all of this, preeminent thing, of course, was the love of God. And he wants to call their attention to the fact that the message that you have heard from the beginning is a message of simplicity that simply says you should love one another. Amen? That you should love one another. And then he says, now, you don't love like Cain loved. 
that slew his brother, and he slew him simply because his own works were evil. Now, he wasn't challenged so much by his evil works until they were placed alongside the good works of his brother Abel. And those works condemned him. And it goes on to say, now, don't marvel that the world's going to hate you because when love emits from you to the world as well as to one another, it's going to condemn an individual that is not loving in its purity, and it's going to cause some animosity to rise from them toward you. And for that reason, a lot of individuals are not trying to be perfect in love. We're trying to go the ways of the world, and as I said before, it says we know we have passed from death unto life, and we know that for one reason, because we love the brethren. That's the way we know that we are not under the sentence of death. That's the only way we know that we're not under the sentence of death. You can have the power of the Holy Ghost in your life, which is God, which is love, and not allow it to take control of your life, and death still reigns within you because predominant thing that should be Love is not there. And so a lot of times with our testimony of life within us, the Bible tells us that unless love has been found, unless love has been initiated, unless we have learned how to love as Jesus loved, then death still reigns within us. And then he says, now, if you hate your brother, and that's, that's hard and that's crude, but he said if there's a hatred or malice, now, the word is simply malice, simply something that would cause you to do something against your brother out of condemnation, out of anger, or out of whatever it is. And he says, whosoever does this is a murderer. In other words, you're killing this individual's life. You're killing this individual's influence. In other words, you have talked his spiritual life to death. And God help us to realize in some way, take it and listen to our own heartbeat and ask ourselves the question, how many people have been killed by well-meaning individuals who knew not how to love, who have shouted and rejoiced in the power of the Holy Ghost, who had spoken in tongues, and who had had their dance and shout and shouted their hair down and left the church house that very night and murdered some individual. Tell me love is in that. That's why it tells us, and John comes along a little bit further and says, you need love. It has to be number one. If we ever expect to find maturity in God, we've got to find out how to love. And the scriptures went on to say this is a way we perceive the love of God because he laid down his life for us. And then he lets us know that we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. And then he says if we see somebody and we have this world's good and we see our brother have need, and that's not talking about some lazy good-for-nothing that uh, simply squanders their money or won't work for their money and is always into problems some type because they spend money unwisely or don't manage their household. It's talking about a definite need. And you have the ability 
to solve that need for them and you shut up your bowels of compassion because your bank account is more important than your brother, listen to the challenge of what it's saying. Listen, I just read it from you. Shut him up the bowels of compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God in you? I didn't ask that question. That question was asked by that loving apostle John and he challenges us. Although I have known that scripture and I have known it's in there, it never quite meant as much to me as it did when I entered into the study and shut the door and shut the world's noise away from me and found myself alone with God and some way was brought and called to the attention that the Bible wasn't written just to read. It was written to read and be obedient to. So there's a challenge for us. There's a beginning for us. And that's not to say give away everything you've got. That's not to say that at all. It just tells us that the world is in need. Sometimes your brother's in need. We have brothers across the seas as well as around here that definitely are in need. They certainly need the love of God. That would penetrate our heart. The power of love. Now then, Songs of Solomon, the 8th chapter and 6th verse, simply says, Love is strong as death. Love is strong as death. Now, we live in an age where the strength of almost everything has been measured. The thrust of a jet engine, the power of all of that can, can be measured. All of these uh, diesels that you see pulling these trains, their power has been harnessed and it has been measured. They can tell you exactly how much power each one of them puts out. Also, the power of a harnessed atom has been measured. They know how to do that. And even the energies that's generated by the sun have been measured to some degree. And it's said that in one thunderstorm, there is enough energy expended to light a whole city for 20 days. Uh, I mean, that's energy. And that is in one thunderstorm that we see. But in spite of man's ability to harness, in spite of man's ability uh, to measure, no one, I'll say it again, no one has ever yet found an instrument that's sufficient for measuring the power of God's love. As much as we try to understand, and sometimes... We feel like we've just got a corner on God's love. That we have excelled in God's love. That God's love has so infiltrated us that there's no room for any more. And yet there's no way to measure the power of God's love. What would move out from us if God's love was to be found in our life? The songwriter one time, and I'd like to go over a few of these and you know them, tried to inspire our imagination when he penned the words, Oh, love of God, how rich, how pure, how measureless and strong. And it goes on to say, If we with ink the oceans filled and were the sky of parchment made, every stock on, stock on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. 
And when I looked at that song and that man trying to describe the power of God's love, what God's love could do, and then I imagined how the church of God seems like just a drop in a bucket as far as the populace of this world is concerned. And yet if we who are filled with God's power could find the essence of God's love inside, there would be no way that man could measure the power of a loving church and its effect upon the lost and dying world. Friend, that's the very thing that caused the church to grow by leaps and bounds when it was first born on the day of Pentecost. What happened? God came into their life. There is no other thing that we can say than God came into their life. God enthused them with His power, but with this power came a pure, unadulterated love of God that reached down into the depths of humanity as well as into the heights of kings and molded them all together and formulated a church that shocked them world and changed humanity and has down through the ages of time. The power of love has set individuals into flaming fire where they have destroyed their lives. The power of love has sent individuals to the chop block where they gave their head for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The power of love has caused humanity to give up the luxury of their home and sent them into foreign fields ministering the power and the love of God. And the power of love has challenged the life of every individual at some time or another that has experienced the power of the Holy Ghost. Because it is only with that and we can ever love and find love in its fullness. That's where power emits from. And that's why that church set on fire in the day of Pentecost and 3,000 souls were saved that day because love emitted from those individuals. They didn't look at their color. They didn't look at their culture. They didn't look at their creed. They didn't look at their standards of life. All they looked at was a soul that needed to know the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes we sit here so preoccupied by our own damnable heresies and seem not to be able to be touched by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, continually rejecting what God has to say to our life, continually murdering, abusing, slandering, and slurring those who would do things from God and feel as if one day we'll enter into the kingdom of God. Friend, it will never happen. You can shout until there's no shout left in you. You can cry until there's no cry left in you. And you can speak in tongues until you run out of a language. Except you find the love of God in your heart and in your mind, the Bible says, death still dwells there. Death still reigns there. And that's why it's important that we find the love of God in our life. Find how to love. And friend, it's set on fire the course of nature. It was love that caused those apostles, disciples, to come out of the upper room. It was love that caused Peter to take his life in his own hands, who one time was a coward, and one time denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times. It was love that made him stand up with the other eleven disciples or apostles and preach a message that seared the course of the Roman Empire and challenged the rulers of that day and looked at Israel and said, You have crucified the Lord of glory. He said it out of love. He said it because he wanted to challenge them. 
And it was love that caused humanity to run and find Jesus. And you can't measure that love. And God's love sometimes has been hidden. When you read the Old Testament, sometimes you see more the wrath of God in the Old Testament than you've seen the love of God. But God's love became vivid. God's love became visible when it moved him to come and sit where we sit and come and feel like we feel. Hallelujah. And come and live like we live. And come and live in a world like we're living in. And God's love become visible then. That love become known as the Son of God. That moved him to come and save a lost and a dying world. That caused him to come from the ivory palace, palaces of heaven into the wooden cross of Calvary and give his life for a sacrifice that you and I might find what it's like to feel the love of God. And it became vivid then, and it became very visible. The Bible says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son. And friend, he asked us to give him nothing other than ourselves and our life and our feelings. And asked us to find what it's like to be touched by the divinity of God and know what the power of love is actually like. Jesus was God giving love to man. God was holy, and man was sinful, and this caused a gap. God simply couldn't commune. God simply couldn't talk. The gap was too big, and there needed to be something, somewhere, to bridge that gap. What was it going to be? What could bridge the gap? What could heal a hurt? What could take away the distrust? and the judgments of God. When God looked down upon humanity, fallen race, sinful, even picked out his own righteous nation, it sinned and went against him. What could bridge that gap had it separated man and God? And you know the answer as well as I do. Love was the only force that could do that. That love was powerful enough and it bridged the gap between God and man and brought us together until tonight all we've got to do is come to Him in your automobile, on the streets, in the church house, in the altar, walking down the street or in your own home. You can come to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the power of God's love that enabled us just to look up to him in a busy, mad walk of life. And that's your work and you don't have to say a thing other than breathe a praise and pray an almighty God and know he's there. I said it, know he's there. Because love bridged the gap again for God so loved the world. Old Sunday school scripture had carries something with us, friend. And something that some way needs to motivate our lives and make us to realize it's a privilege. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It's all right. You worship God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I think the most precious thing in the world, and sometimes we feel like, and the devil has, he's robbed us of a time when we can spend time on our knees. He's taken the advantage away from us. He thinks, but friend, it doesn't take an hour on our knees. Or if we've got it, we need to spend it. It doesn't even take five minutes on our knees that we've got it. We need to spend that. 
And all that time the devil has taken away from us, there's one thing he cannot do. You remember God bridged the gap. And wherever you're at, regardless of it's 30 seconds, 5 minutes, or whatever it is, you can go about your daily walk of life and on your job, and you still have communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can still honor Him. And you can still thank Him. That's the power of love. You can't measure that. I've tried to measure it. I've tried to imagine what kind of a love would it be to cause a God that was holy, a God that had never been tainted by sin, to come down and look my way. What caused Him to do that? He had no reason to other than love motivated Him to do it. And love came to my rescue. Hallelujah. When God sought to bind the people, love was so important. And when God sought to bind two people together as husband and wife, He used love as the binding force. That's how powerful love is. And friend, let me tell you something. If men, women, boys and girls would recognize that love comes from God and it is not lust, but true love comes from God, you'd find a lot less divorces. Because they would find one thing that God gave his life. Love will hold when everything else breaks down. Hallelujah. When everything else is gone, when nothing else is left, it was God's love. It was God's grace that ushered in the era of love and grace. And it was love and grace that changed the concept of concept of serving God. Changed that concept from, and I think Brother Turner ministered so well on that, changed that concept that we had from duty and servitude and brought it up to a privilege and a friendship with Almighty God. When you can't regulate and you can't relegate love, man has to love God because he is God and because he is himself. You can lay all types of legalistic things on humanity and they may obey them. But friend, the best way in the world, and it's been said time and time again, is let the heart of man be filled with the love of God and all of these other things will handle themselves. Because humanity will want to please God. Hallelujah. Those that find it hard to live for God should consecrate a little bit more on loving Him and a little less on forcing themselves to do some of the things that He's asked them to do. Amen. You wouldn't find it quite so hard if you realized the only way that you can possibly ever be pleasing to God is do what He asks you because you love Him, not because of anything else. And when love slips, and when love is gone, then, of course, we can't follow after those things. The 18th and 19th chapters, sometime it might be good if you get into them. You'd be surprised. It would be nice if you would just make a study on love. Just make your own study on love. I thank God uh, because Brother Alvey challenged me for this. Because a lot of things you overlook. And a lot of things that lay heavy on you sometimes. And you've always thought you have known what the Scripture has said. And you've always lived your life as if you knew about them. And yet there's something about the challenge of love that reduces us. And makes us take a second look at ourselves. 
And when we take a second look at ourselves, we find some things in there that we don't like. We find some things in there that we thought we'd had all the way along because we'd been told that they were there, not because we actually knew they were there. But the 18th and 19th chapters of John, if you read that, that reveals John's love for his master. And of everybody, I didn't know this until I looked in it and found, found it in there. I always thought that he was forsaken by everybody. But when you search that out and look at it, this man that Jesus loved, that leaned on his breast, never at one time forsook him. You'll find him there almost all the time. He was there when the dangers of crucifixion was there, when he knew that if he identified with the Savior, they could do him the same way they was doing with the Savior. And everybody else was running or denying the Lord. According to John 18, 15, John was there. He had found the love that his master had from him. And it appears when we look at it that he never really forsook Jesus, but went with him during his trial, followed him up to the hill of Golgotha, and stood at the foot of the cross. John portrayed the same type of love as his master. And friend, it's left there in the Bible for us to have it. Oh, it's impossible, somebody said. It is not impossible. Maybe improbable for a lot of us, but it's not impossible. God has never asked anything that is impossible out of us. It's going to take some dying out to our flesh. It's going to take some good old honest observation of ourselves and some good analysis of our own life and some putting away from traditions for years it's been ours and are able to face us according to Scripture and realize what it actually takes to have life dwelling in us. I'd like to ask you a question. Talks about the Good Shepherd. Talks about him searching long and hard for a lost sheep. Now, why does he do this? Is it because the sheep, the sheep is valuable? No, I don't think so. I don't think the Good Shepherd bemoans the loss of the sheep because of its material gain and all of value. But I think he searches hard and seeks it because he loves it. I know full well that God didn't search me out because I had any value. And he didn't you either. He didn't search you out because you could bring him something. He searched you out and he found you and he wouldn't let you go. I said he wouldn't let you go. And he searched you out until he found you. Because he loved you. And friend, the world out here sometimes that we've turned our back on, the Good Shepherd is still searching. He's still seeking. He's still calling. He won't give up. There'll come a time. Just how powerful is love. Nobody really knows. But it did cause Ruth to leave her kindred. It did cause Ruth to leave her homeland. And it did cause Ruth to say to Naomi in Ruth 1.16, where thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. Friend, that has to be love. That would draw an individual out from her people. Send an individual to a strange land, to a strange people, and to a strange God. Cause her to leave all of her gods 
put her trust in one. Love like that. The world would turn loose of their gods and turn loose of the things that they hang on to because that's all they've got. They would turn loose of that and say, your people will be my people, and where you lodge, I will lodge, and your God will be my God, because I see what it's done for you. Amen. Now then, when you look at that scripture again, and you find out what made that lady, what about her caused Ruth to want to come? When you look at this, sadness and sorrow was all she seen. Her sons had died. And that's all she seen. But it don't say. But it leaves you someplace inside there that lets you know the way she handled herself in those tragedies and the belief so strongly she had in her God and the love she had for her God was so strong in the time of trials and tests that it left such an impression upon that girl that she said, where you're going, I'm going to go. And where you live, I'm going to live. And your people's going to be mine. And your God's going to be my God. Nothing could have portrayed a life like that. But this is the power that draws men and women, boys and girls, on mission fields, both in our homeland and in our foreign countries. I've been asked the question a lot of times. It looks to me like that more Christian people would volunteer to take the gospel not only to America but to heathens around the world. And when you look at that, you find a thousand answers are given. But only one is sufficient. Too many people lack love. And thus lack the power that would propel, push them out into this type of a ministry. And I said it before, love caused individuals to leave the confines of their own country. Love pushed them out into the Philippines and India and in Haiti, darkest continents of Africa had looked at those people and performed a service to them. The power of love propelled them. The power of love can hardly propel us out of our pews. Amen. And when it does move us out of our pew, it moves us with criticism, with scorn, and with put-down. And friend, I'm going to say this. I wonder sometimes how long God is going to allow us to sit in the house of God with our reprobate mind until we're chastised and challenged and left and so on a Sunday. Payday's coming. You can't do things like that and continually get by with it. Love has to propel us. Love has to motivate us. I can make all the New Year's resolutions and say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I can have all good intentions. But if there isn't something in there to get me past that hurdle, I'll just have good intentions and nothing else. And friend, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't have what it takes. 
to do it on my own. My love don't encompass that far. My human love, I can't do it. I barely get past my own family. And some of us love enough to maybe embrace our kin and kindred, kith and kindred in our church. But I have to do farther than that. And some of us can't even love our brothers in our church. And don't tell me you got life because you don't. My scripture I just read to you tells you you're in death. And you're dwelling in death. And the tree is diseased. The tree's going to die. The harvest is white. My Bible tells me this and yours does too. But the laborers are few. Why is this? Because there's no love. Nothing has propelled individuals. We look at the harvest. Reminds me of the slothful farmer. That puts out and sows the seed. Diligently takes care of the crop. Harvest time comes. The golden grain hangs heavy. And he's too slothful, too preoccupied with things of this world to gather his own crop. And friend, let me tell you something. The harvest has been sown. People have labored long since before us and plowed the ground and turned that dark soil upside down. And the light of God's glorious gospel has shined on individuals. And it sprang forth. And water came from heaven. Ministers, lay members, and teachers came in and toiled and worked and kept the weeds out of it. And now we've come to harvest time. I said we've come to harvest time. Golden grain is heavy. And God is saying, who will go for me? Who will I send? Who will take this message? Who will live this life? The Bible says, laborers are few. Because love doesn't move us out and propel us. The final conclusive proof of the power of God's love for his people took place in a lonely courtroom one day. As this Love of God stood in Pilate's judgment hall, heard his espoused wife that at one time shouted Hosanna to the King of Kings, his espoused wife, cry, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. The Bible says they with wicked hands took him slew him but he still loved him everybody in this world has tried to absolve the Jews from killing the power of love which is Jesus but they said let his blood be upon us and let it be upon our children and it's been there oh yes it has but while they was crying that he still loved her. And he still loves her. And they, she had to be left alone for a while. She had to go her own way and she had to do her own thing for a while. And according to the scriptures, someday, someday that nation is going to seek repentance. Someday that dry tree is going to have rain on it again. And someday he is going to forgive her and return and come to her defense. And the Bible says a nation is born in one day. God comes again. 
the words of the song take on a new meaning and ring louder and louder and louder in our ears as we ponder God's love. And my God, I wish I, I pray I haven't wasted my time. I pray that the same thing rests your soul and your spirit as it did me and makes me realize that of all the things I do and of all the things I say, if it's not done out of the love of God, if it's done simply because of obedience or coercion or whatever, it profits me nothing. That friend, if I can get a hold of God's unchanging hand and find that love of God permeating my body and I worship and serve God because I love Him and I try to reach God's people because I love them, whatever I do and whatever I say, friend, it's going to ring loud and clear into the kingdom of God. Whether you like it or whether you don't, I have to stand clear and absolve my own self of God's word. Or I realize I'm not blind to the fact that a lot of us are so childish and so carnal that if we can't have a whoop-de-doo big time, we can't just go someplace where they're shouting and dancing all the time in 15 minutes of God's Word, and then a lot of the times after the dancing and shouting is over, then they never hear another thing that's ever said. Friend, I realize a lot of people are that childish and that simple that that's what they want. But let me tell you something. You better get into God's Word. I'm not against shouting, friend, you can shout. But, friend, I would rather have God's Word nestled way down deep in my soul than the loudest cry and the loudest shout. And all the speaking in tongues that a man could have. I'd rather sit under God's Word and listen to God challenge my spirit and talk to my spirit than have all of this so-called spiritual services. Amen, Brother Hoska. Amen. And this jumping up and down and whoop-de-doo that people calls ministry, that never says a word, that, that just borders on what we have already done and never challenges us to think or look in our own particular life is a bunch of baloney. Amen. And we better start searching and see what God has to say to us because we want life to dwell in us. Life. And if we don't have love, love for God's Word, love for His ability, love for his people then we have nothing the power of love again will send us it'll make us forget our own comforts it'll make us forget preparing materially for our own future it'll concern us the world is lost and dying. If you love like Jesus loves, you have to care. You can't help it. Shall we stand? Love has to be first. When it's power unmeasurable, some way, somehow has to find its way into the last day church and motivate us in a way that we've never been motivated before. 
things I've said so often, I want to say it again. For the most part, we are a carnal church looking for spiritual things. And it'll never happen that way. God has promised us miracles. God has promised us signs and wonders. But he's promised this to a spiritual church. Not to a childish church, carnal church, dwelt on natural things. We'll, all we'll have is probably what we have today. Until some way we can find God's love. And let it drive us to our knees. God's love will make us want to be in his house. All the threatening, coercing, all the putting down that I can do will never bring anybody to the house of God. We have to love him. And we have to love his people and want to be close to them. And that will bring us. Every time the doors are open that we can possibly be there, that will bring us. Love will make us support the work of God. Love will do it. All the coercion, all the different ideas and opinions we have on ties and not ties doesn't make any difference at all. doesn't mean anything. If we love God, we'll support his work one way or the other. Call it tithes, call it offering, but you will support it. Love will make you do that. Nothing I could say would do, and if you did because I said it, it wouldn't do you any good anyway. Because God loves a cheerful giver.